Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful weekend, uh, I am happy, as always, that you have joined us here today. We are actually in sermon number six of our, our walk through the book of Esther. Our overarching theme this entire time has been the silence that shouts. And so today, we're going to peel back the layers of that uh, and, and kind of look and back out at, at how we've gotten to this point. So I'm happy that you've joined us here today um, as we dig into the very last uh, um, section of Esther, and and that's what we're going to look at. I brought along for you an onion today. I thought this maybe is a good illustration for what we have done thus far in the book of Esther, and actually maybe a good illustration for um, um, where we've come from on kind of peeling apart the the aspects of the book of Esther. Um, Onions are a pretty fantastic thing. Now, I know some of you are probably not fans of onions, but almost every single one of us on some level has to have an appreciation for onions. Uh, If you are a cook, you know how ubiquitous onions are. Onions are used in almost every dish that you ever cook, uh, and that's regardless of what cuisine you're cooking, um, what nationality you're coming from. Onions are just literally everywhere. Um, Onions are pretty amazing in that regard, too. Um, They are actually one of the oldest cultivated vegetables that we have on record. So uh, we, have, we have accounts of onions being around for thousands upon thousands of years. Uh, in fact, what's interesting is they believe that onions or the, um, the man-made cultivation of onions probably arose in ancient Persia, which is where the setting of our book Esther is here today. Um, but onions ha- have been used in cooking to bring out the flavor of cooking and, and, uh, and cuisine for literally thousands of years. Uh, and they're incredibly common, they're incredibly ancient, and they're incredibly widespread, which is all those reasons I think are maybe a good reason why an onion can be a pretty good example of what we're talking about in the book of Esther. Because as we've gone through this book of Esther, if you've walked with us on this journey, you've seen that we've We've pulled apart uh, different layers of it, and each and every layer kind of has a different aspect. And as you go through that onion of the book of Esther, we have been able to see God in the silence and in the shadows all the way through. But here's kind of the fantastic thing about onions. Um, Unlike maybe a fruit where you try to get through the skin to get to the good part, uh, the layers of an onion are the onion, aren't they? So with every layer that we peel back, that is the onion all the way to the center. And we would say, uh, maybe today we would talk about that Christ is at the center of it, but we also understand that an onion is also made up of its layers. And I, I think that's a great example of when we have peeled back the pages and verses of the book of Esther, we've seen God in the layers 
over and over and over again. And so today we get to back out and kind of say, okay, what does this picture look like? What was God doing with his people, with Esther, with Mordecai, and ultimately for the birth of Jesus and our salvation? Um, And so our onion today is going to be a good example, a good illustration of of what we've done thus far. Um, Our theme is going to be simply that, that God is in all the layers, not only of Esther and Mordecai in the book of Esther, but God's in all the layers of your life as well. Uh, Interestingly enough, I think this idea of an onion is actually a pretty good example of all of Scripture, actually, as well. Uh, I oftentimes talk to some of our newer members, and we have many members that have come um, to Christianity maybe for the first time or had not been in church for a very long time. And one of the things we often talk about in our starting point class is that some of God's teaching, some of his doctrines, as we would call them, um, we get those by seeing God layering different images of himself, revealing himself in different passages throughout the scripture. And so some of the more ones that we would say are more difficult, we find God in those layers. And as we layer them on top of one another, almost like onion skin paper, we're able to see the full picture of who God is and what he is communicating to us. But if we get lost in any single one layer, we start to lose that image. I think that is a good picture for how to study the entirety of Scripture, um, the cohesiveness of the Bible, um, that we look at one passage to explain another passage. Uh, But I think it's also a good picture for us as we go through the book of Esther. As we've peeled those layers apart, um, we are going to see that God is communicating to us um, from that silence and from those shadows. And so uh, let's dig into it today. Our theme, as I mentioned, is simply God is in the layers. And I want to look at four different layers of where God is at in chapter 8 from Esther here today. Uh, We want to look at just how common uh, those layers are, um, how common we are in that. Uh, We want to look at sometimes the tears that can come from not only an onion, but tears from just Christian living. Uh, The third one we want to talk about that we we actually at some point need to taste those layers uh, and taste God's goodness, see that He is good. And lastly, that we're going to share it. We want to pepper our lives with Christ and with His grace and all the layers that God has given us on the pages of Scripture. So, uh, let's dig into it here this morning. If you're with us over the past few weeks, uh, we are jumping into our text immediately after uh, the enemy of the Jews, Haman, has been put to death, actually impaled on a pole that he had created for Mordecai. So, um, last week, Pastor Dan talked about um, um, this is kind of the the climax, the bad guy gets what's coming to him. That happened last week, but I, I would argue that today is maybe the the bigger, longer-lasting beauty of this text, um, because today the the balance of life and death was, or the life and death was still in the balance, I should say, for the Jews. That edict that Haman had put in place had not been repealed. The Jews and death still hung over their heads. And so today we see the resolution of that. We see how God, through Esther and Mordecai, is going to bring life and salvation for those Jews. So let's jump into our text. Remember, we're going to talk about those three areas. We want to talk about how common these layers are, the tears um, that they, we need to taste it, and ultimately we also need to share it in our lives. So uh, we're going to start with verse 5 of our text. You're welcome to follow along with me on your screen uh, or simply listen to me as I read it. So verse 5. Esther says this, If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it the right thing to do, 
And if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, son of Hamadathah the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. So now understand where we're at. Haman has been put to death. Mordecai has been given Haman's entire estate and, in fact, his signet ring as well. Esther is still queen, but that death sentence still hangs over the head of the Jews. And so Esther is now going to use um, all the weight that she has as queen in order to try to save her people, to try, in order to try to stop genocide. And so she comes to King Xerxes, and it's kind of amazing. Some of this is politeness, but, but some of this is also Esther simply recognizing that her life and the life of her fellow Jews very much hung in the balance. And so she comes to Xerxes, and it's filled with pleases, right? You can just hear, um, if it pleases the king, um, if he regards me in favor, if he thinks this is the right thing to do, like over and over again, Esther kind of humbles herself in order for Xerxes to, to, um, to counteract that death sentence. Now remember, Mordecai has all of Haman's wealth now. Esther is still the queen. And so you'd think that she'd be able to walk in there with a little bit more uh, weight to what she is saying, but you very much get the picture that Esther feels very common and powerless in this situation. You almost get the feeling like she is not sure at all on any level whether she and her people were going to be part of a genocide. And so it's remarkable how common Esther still felt even in this moment. But when we back out, when we look at that layer of the book of Esther, it's kind of amazing that that's what it looks like throughout that entire book. Uh, just for a moment, think of the things that have happened in the book of Esther, or I should say this, think of the things that have not happened in the book of Esther. And this is kind of the elephant in the room for the book of Esther, right? Never, not once is God's name ever mentioned. Not once uh, do we see prayer. In fact, at a point, even points within the text where we think this is a natural place, we talk about um, weeping and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. At no point does it even say that they prayed. And so you go through the book of Esther and, and it's almost conspicuous. God is conspicuous by his absence in everything that's happening. It is a remarkably common story. And you get the feeling that Esther and Mordecai very much feel like pawns in a very common uh, in a very common story, right? There's no burning bush like to Moses. There's no parting of the Red Sea. There's no plagues. There's no miracles that are performed. Uh, there are no angels that come down and say, do not be in fear. There's no changing water into wine, walking on water, or raising from the dead. In fact, throughout this entire book of Esther, we don't see any miracles performed by God where His presence is just so front and center. Instead, what we find on the layers and in the layers of this book of Esther is over and over again, God shouting from the silence. It looks like a remarkably common story, doesn't it? And I have to believe that on some level, maybe Esther and Mordecai felt they were just common people in this story as they went along, doing the best that they could in a secular society called Persia. 
making some good choices, probably making some questionable choices, but simply trying to live their life in glory to God as best as they could. But at no point do you feel as though Mordecai and Esther thought that they were part of some great grand plan. They just felt as though they were trying to do the best they could in the moment. But I think that's the power of the book of Esther. Because Esther's life is your life. Esther's life is my life. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I have not had angels show up in my living room and tell me not to fear. I have not seen things that were just so miraculous that I could never explain. In fact, more often than not, my life feels as common as anyone else. I get up, I drink some coffee, I try to prepare a sermon, um, try to take care of our people and shepherd our people. Um, We go through the daily grind, and if you're anything like me, you feel just ordinary. Well, if that's the case, your life is Esther's life. My life is Esther's life. And I think that's the power of this layer that we're peeling back here today. The power of the book of Esther is that, um, that God was present throughout all of these layers, not necessarily in big, miraculous, astounding, burning bush type ways, but constantly and consistently in the shadows, working for the good of his people. God does the very same thing for you in your life as well. And so Esther's story is our story. But when we dig deeper into our story, I don't think it takes us very long uh, for tears to come, like cutting into an onion and our eyes start to water. I don't think it takes very long for us in our commonality to see the tears and the pain that our individual stories contain. I'm going to use a very personal example today. Um, All of you, most of you know my daughter Tatum and have been around her over the past few years. Uh, Tatum, about four years ago, um, um, was diagnosed with lupus, which is an autoimmune disease. And any of those of you that have had kids or, or family members or deal with autoimmune disease, you know how slippery a disease that is. It's very hard to narrow down exactly what it's doing, when it's doing and how to treat it. And so over the last four years, uh, if you've walked this journey with us here at CVL, if you've known Tatum, um, you know that there has been highs and lows and ups and downs. There's been countless doctor's appointments, countless treatments, monthly treatments, weekly treatments. Um, There have been times when she's felt remarkably wonderful and hopeful and times when she has felt remarkably down and fatigued. And through it all, there have been tears It's not easy. And so what do I say to my daughter who has lupus about why she has that disease? And I don't have a good answer for her as a dad. Say, I don't know. I don't know why she is going through this and having to bear up under it. I don't know why the layers of her life look like this versus somebody else's. But I do know this, and this is what I can assure her of. I know that God's with her. And that God has been with her even through the struggle of lupus. I can see it at every single turn. I can see it in in her optimism. Um, I can see it in the joy that she brings. I can see it in the the excitement that she has when she has energy. Um, I can see it in her faith, expressed in her faith. Um, Her sharing her faith with doctors, with nurses, in theater, at church with all of you. I can see God in the details, even in the tears and the struggle of Tatum's life. I can see that there as a dad, and I tell her that. But you want to know what's most important? Tatum needs to see that. 
in her own life. And that's true of you as well, isn't it? It's good and fine to be able to see God working in the shadows and the struggles and the tears of other people's lives. But at some point, we need to see God in the layers and in the tears of our own lives. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're struggling with the loss of a loved one, loss of a job, maybe diagnosis of a disease. Maybe you've got an autoimmune disease that you've bared up under for years upon years. I don't know if you're struggling with, with, uh, with mental health, with depression, with anxiety, with the isolation of the pandemic. I don't know if you're struggling with, with, with anger and with the uncertainty of what life brings right now and all the chaos that is happening within our world. But I do know that you have tears and that you have struggles and I do know that God is there. But it's not enough just for us to be able to point that out in others. Ultimately, we need to know that for ourselves and believe it for ourselves. And so where do we find that? Where do you find, where does Tatum find that assurance? The same place that Esther and Mordecai found it. They found it, they needed to taste it. They needed to, to taste that the Lord is good and that he is there for our, our salvation and our forgiveness. In the book of Esther, in chapter 14, that good news brought life. Let me read for you verse 14. The couriers riding the royal horses went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. So now understand what has happened. King Xerxes granted Esther's request. And in the laws of the Medes and Persians, you couldn't revoke a law, and so what King Xerxes does is enact an equal and equivalent law to counteract the previous one. So the Jews are now allowed to defend themselves uh, in, in equal measure against anyone that would try to, to take, or take their life or take their things. And so um, um, Xerxes has, has essentially uh, negated the previous law, and they've sent that news out via couriers. And that's kind of a wonderful thing to see here. In fact, uh, we have some reason to believe that Persian horses, that some of our racing horses, modern day racing horses, were actually bred for the purpose of, of sending out good news and messages to the Persian empires. Um, very similar, like a precursor to the Pony Express. And so these riders went out and their sole job was to deliver an edict from the king. In this case, was to deliver an edict of life. And so they went out into the Persian empire and in every city that they arrived, they delivered the good news. You're saved. Um, you're forgiven. You're free. Now, that's pretty remarkable because guess what? That's the same good news that you have. In the midst of your tears and the layers of your life, the good news comes to us, comes to you, that you have a Savior who loved you enough to die for you on the cross. Did you know that the word gospel actually means good news? It's literally just a declaration of what has already happened. That's what these writers were bringing to the people in the cities all over Persia. It was simply a declaration that you have been freed from the death sentence that was over your head. They declared the good news. They brought a gospel. Now, how did people receive that? I think in large part, you just hear it and rejoice. 
Right? They weren't looking at the rider saying, well, his horse is not quite right, or, or, or he doesn't have quite the right armor on, or I am a little suspect about what he's bringing. No, every single one of those riders you knew was coming from the king, and they were bringing the, the news that you now had life, the edict that you would be free from the, the halo of death that was over your head. And so you heard that good news, and what was the natural reaction? You ingested it, you, you rejoiced in your own heart, and then you went out into your world, and you shared with others the reality that was now brought to you. You shared that good news. And so in the layers of our tears and our struggle, we need to hear the gospel, that Jesus loved you enough to lay down his life for you on the cross. These writers brought out good news from King Xerxes, but the gospel that we hear on the pages of scripture brings you good news on behalf of a king that was far greater than Xerxes, a king that willingly laid down his life on the cross for your sins. That is the good news you have. Your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. You are valued, you are loved. Even through the layers of your tears and sorrow, Jesus Christ has redeemed you. The halo of death is no longer hanging over your head because you have life and salvation in Jesus. That is good news. And we need to ingest it. We need to eat that good news. We need to, to, to drive it down into the, the center of our being, and we need to share that good news with the people in our lives. In fact, this is maybe just a, a microcosm of why we actually do church. <laughs> we come together in our tears and our sorrows to be reassured and reminded of the good news and the fact that does not change, that Jesus Christ is King, died for our sins, and we are forgiven. That brings us joy that brings us salvation, and that allows us to, to encourage one another and bring that good news into our world. Which brings us to our last point, that we want to share it. We don't just hold this in for ourselves, but rather we sprinkle our food with, with onions that bring out the aroma of all the other dishes around them, that we share that good news um, far and wide within our communities, within our families, um, and with our loved ones. So we conclude with verse 17. It says this, In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. Good news does that. It brings out joy in us. Even when life is difficult, it, it, it brings out the aroma of life. And brothers and sisters, that is the opportunity we have as believers in the world in which we live. You have the opportunity to bring out an aroma of life in the lives of the people with whom you live, you work with, your family members, your neighbors, and your community. In fact, I think that's exactly what Paul was talking about in Colossians 4, verse 6, when he says this, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You know what Paul's talking about there? He's talking about you and I about us being able to share that good news and the grace we have in Jesus Christ and the life-giving aroma that it brings to every single dish and family and home in our communities, in our world, and in our families. That's the joy we have. And maybe that's our last takeaway from the book of Esther. God shouted from the silence over and over and over again, And we can step back and look at the totality of the book of Esther. And we marvel at how God used common people, an orphan, a man named Mordecai, 
to save his people. But brothers and sisters, that's just a microcosm of what God has done for you. Because we back further out, we see that God has done that for our world in Christ. And we get to take that joy, that grace, that forgiveness into our world. It may look remarkably common at times, but it brings life and brings out the aroma of life in everything we do and in the lives, uh, and, and in the lives of those whom we touch. And so as we go, let's listen clearly to the silence that shouted in the book of Esther. I pray you see God in every layer of your life. And let us do everything we can to season our lives, our interactions, our relationships with that grace and to share that good news. Amen.